to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on over on uh, follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast, and be sure you go subscribe because we just started doing Training Tip Tuesdays. That's right, every Tuesday I'll be coming out with an excellent training tip for you guys to use with your dogs at home. So go subscribe on my Instagram and check it out. And you can also check out my YouTube channel at Speak a Dogcast as well. Go subscribe there, click the like, click the thumbs up. I would appreciate it, guys. And if you want to become a patron of the show today, Patreon.com/slash Speak a Dog to support the show even further. If you love what you're hearing, if you like the show, if you love the show, do me a favor, take a moment, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review. I would love to hear what you guys think. And of course, it's always greatly appreciated. Now on today's show, happy holidays to all. Yes, of course, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy uh, (laughs) post-Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy Festivus to the rest of us. Yes, Happy holidays. I hope you guys are so far enjoying December. I hope you continue to have a safe and wonderful month uh, heading into the new year here. So uh, happy, happy, and healthy, healthy. Today on the show, happy holidays to all. That's where we're going to start. We're going to talk a little bit about Christmas holidays with our pets. There is definitely some information in there you have got to hear. Very important stuff, fun stuff too, but very important stuff about the holidays with your pups. Then we have Christmas animals. Yes, it's a special uh, segment about Christmas and the animals associated with it. Kind of cool, some history stuff in there, some interesting facts. I love it. I love doing that research on animals and history. Always fun. Then comes the History of Animal Mascots 101. Did I say I like animals and history? Yes, the History of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. If you have questions for the listener question and answer session, send them my way. You can email me, uh, questions at speakadogcast.com, or you can message me on social media as well. Dog training, animal training, any questions you guys have sent them on over and they might get featured on the podcast yes now before we get going today's show i have to give you that trivia question today's question is going to be what bird is considered a symbol of peace yes what bird is oftentimes considered a symbol of peace i will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast so be sure you stick around sit stay and enjoy the show on Speak a Dogcast, happy holidays to all. Yes, a very happy holidays to all of you. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, sort of, we're past Hanukkah, but still a very happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, happy, happy, merry, merry. Everybody have a wonderful and happy and safe holiday. Of course, I hope you do. Everybody getting ready for Christmas. It is exciting. Um, I I love all the sweets. How can you not love all the sweets? It's amazing. So (laughs) a lot of fun things about Christmas. But look, guys, there are the downsides to the holidays. And those are the negative things that affect our pets. And look, it's always a great reminder. It really is because there's a lot of things to think about with the holidays. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of chaos, action, people in town, uh, cooking, baking, things being spilled. And these are legitimately things that can be deadly, straight up, like just honesty time. These are things, there are things on during the holidays that can be very deadly to your pets, dogs and cats. I mean, come on, we all know we've seen the contraptions that people put up around their Christmas trees to keep cats from getting to it. Um, but it's dogs too, right? It's dogs too. And I think that's a kind of the good place to start is the Christmas tree. Guys, if you've got any kind of pet, I don't care how good your dog is, because all it takes is a tail at the right angle and the right thing. 
you've got to attach your Christmas trees to the wall. Like a little fishing line and a thumbtack or two, maybe something stronger like a fish hook, can go a long way towards saving a lot of heartache and headache. I cannot stress this enough. Tiny little piece of fishing string and two fishing hooks or even one fishing hook because you just do it around the tree, tie both sides to the fishing hook in the wall. Boom, so many problems solved right there, like broken trees, fire potential, like need we even go into the details of everything that happens with a falling tree. So something so simple, something so simple that can fix it and really avoid a lot of headache and heartache, all right? So I know it sounds kind of silly, but please, please secure your Christmas trees if you have pets, it's just not worth it, right? Now, another small note I like to make with Christmas trees, because I'll be honest, I didn't grow up doing Christmas. So, you know, the, the trees are sort of like I watering them, right? Like, I mean, you know, you got to water a plant, obviously. But it's fascinating that a lot of people actually put all of these different additives and things in their Christmas trees, you know, in the water to try to prolong the life of the tree. And in fact, might be doing the opposite. I love this. I actually got this tidbit a couple years ago. Um, this was actually from the National Christmas Tree Association. Yes, the NCTA. <laughs> now, they say the best way to keep a Christmas tree hydrated is plain, fresh water. That's it. Nothing else. There's. They say that adding aspirin, people add aspirin, soda, bleach, corn syrup, sugar, or any other preservatives are completely unnecessary and actually can be detrimental to the tree. They can decrease the amount of moisture retention and increase the amount of needle loss. So, guys... It's kind of funny, they follow my mantra, don't they? Of like dog training, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Put water in the tree and nothing else. And for that matter, do you really want your dog or cat licking up that water potentially at the base of the tree, right? Out of the whatever the vessel the, that the base of the tree is sitting in. Do you really want your dog licking sugar, aspirin, soda, thing, bleach? People are putting bleach in there. My goodness. No, we don't want our dogs and cats licking them either. So not only is it not good for the tree, it's not good for your pets. So, hey, plain water. Let's avoid all that other crazy, crazy stuff. Now, the other thing with some of these trees is uh, the trees can be treated with chemicals. So the tree can actually leach these chemicals into the water. So again, just it might be a good idea to put up some kind of blockade or something to not allow your pet to be able to access that water because they might drink it. And again, there could be bad stuff in there. So just something to think about. Now, the ornaments, broken ornaments, Obviously, they can be shattered into pieces, potentially eaten. This is where, it, look, if you, I prefer combining some training with the Christmas tree. You know, my wife grew up with Christmas. We, we put up a Christmas tree. Um, and I, I teach dogs early on to leave the ornaments alone. You know, this is where, again, if we've taught a leave it command, a go on command, uh, there's so many different ones we can utilize, even just a spot while I'm putting up the tree. Hey, go to your spot, lay down. That way it's not a big deal. We put them in a little neutral position. We can do what we need to do. And now all the things on the tree aren't this big, exciting thing. People make the mistake of like getting all the ornaments out and going, oh, Fluffy, look at this, and making it a big deal. And now all of a sudden the dog has more interest in the tree than they need to. And that's why they go over and start exploring the ornaments and stuff. So it's important that you do provide some level of training when it comes to the tree and the ornaments and teaching your dog to just, hey, leave it alone. Hey, leave it. Good, leave it, good boy. Teaching them that leaving it is a good thing and now all of a sudden the tree, we don't have any interest in it, right? Um, so the ornaments, but the, one of the other decorations that is just, I, I, I'm sorry, if you have a dog or a cat, no tinsel, guys, no tinsel, none, zero, zilch, get rid of it, I promise you. Go to your veterinarian, call your veterinarian. Well, don't bother them, they're busy right now. Um, <laughs> but next time you're at your veterinarian's office, Ask them what the number one thing they pull out of dogs' butts at Christmas time is because it's going to be tinsel. And not only pull out of butts, that's in a good scenario, guys. The good scenario is that your dog will pass it and it'll come out. The bad scenario, 
legitimately, tinsel can bundle up in their intestines, in their stomach, and create serious blockages that can kill them. Like, no joke. If you think dogs haven't died from ingesting tinsel, get real. So I'm dead serious about this. If you have a pet in your home, dog or cat, please don't use tinsel on your Christmas tree. It's just not worth it. Uh, you can do, no amount of training, right? Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is an amount of training that will help, but there's no amount of training that I want to trust 100% to something like tinsel. Like, you get what I'm saying? Um, that That's what I mean. I just, I wouldn't want to trust it. I wouldn't want to risk it. It's not worth it. Okay, so... Tinsel, no, no, no. Ornaments, teaching them to leave it and maybe even putting up a fence or a barrier. Not a bad idea, you know, good good food for thought on that. Now, another thing with the holidays we all get are a lot of plants, right? A lot of beautiful, there's a lot of beautiful plants associated with Christmas and the holidays. Um, and a lot of them can be dangerous. Here we are again, right? Can be very, very dangerous. Uh, mistletoe, pine, balsam, holler, cedar, uh, pine, I said pine twice. They're all common holiday plants that can be problematic. Poinsettias can also be an issue, okay? So all of these plants, please do your research, you know? See if it's okay for your pet. If it look, if you absolutely have to have it, keep it out of reach. Put it up somewhere high where your pet cannot get to it. Cats, different story. That's why it's just, you know, avoid them all together. Um, candles, oh my gosh. How often are we using candles, the, the, the sugar cookie candles, the pine candles to make it smell like a Christmas tree? Look, guys, I love it. Like, I, I love that stuff. You walk into a home and at the same time for me personally, this is a personal thing, I'm not a big fan of candles anymore. I don't really like the artificial smells they give off. It never used to bother me. It's not like it bothers me that, oh, I can't be in there or anything. Like, I just don't really care for it. I don't like it. Um, I have found these candles, especially like the, you know, the, the really, the not, not a wax can, uh, excuse me, a, um, like a beeswax candle and what, what am I thinking? Um, not, be, what, oh my goodness, soy candles. There's what I'm trying. The soy candles are a good alternative. Uh, they tend to not have those, those chemicals as much and those, those false fragrances. They tend to use oils, natural oil essence, things like that to scent their candles as opposed to fake stuff. So number one. The fake smells, you know, look, there, there's arguments and studies that have said some of those scents are not good for us, let alone not good for our pets, especially like a dog with a very sensitive nose. Um, it, it, they may not, let alone may not enjoy it and they can't tell you, but it actually could potentially be harmful to them. You know, eh, eh, take that one with a, with a grain of salt, if you will. So here's my, here's, here's what I'm saying. There's an easy substitution nowadays, which is really wonderful. And to me, I love them, the, the oil diffusers. I love the oil diffusers, I really do. Um, all the, you know, whatever, whatever medical any benefits, that's not what I'm talking about from a purely smell perspective, scent perspective. I love the oil diffusers and not to mention they're safer. God forbid your pet's tail knocks over a candle or geez, your pet's tail goes through the flame. <laughs> like, whoa there. You know, your cat might knock it over, wax everywhere, potentially fire hazard. So there's just another reason I don't love candles. Again, guys, holiday times. There is so much going on. There's so much chaos. The last thing I need is a flame <laughs> burning unmonitored in the house with pets and kids and just not a good idea. If an oil diffuser falls over, the worst that happens is you have oily water that smells really good spilled wherever that surface is, and it cleans up relatively easily. So that's it. That's the worst case scenario. So I'm a big advocate for the oil diffusers. You will see people that say, don't use diffusers around pets. So I will say the, the sort of like, make sure you're using a high quality oil. Low quality oils can be filled with 
not necessarily all natural stuff. So it's one of those things, again, do your research, do your own research, know what you're putting in your house, know what you're diffusing into your air. Um, side note with birds, people, bird owners out there, y'all already probably know this, like candles are a big no-no with, with bird owners. Some people will say you can use soy candles, but then there's the carbon dioxide of the flame, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so yeah, candles can be not good for birds. Um, there's even the argument of oil diffusers may not be good for birds. I think it probably depends on what oil you're using in there and what kind of bird you have. But birds do have very, very sensitive respiratory systems. So I kind of get that perspective. But we're talking dogs and cats mostly today. So I'm not, all right, I've been talking about the oil diffusers too long, guys. Don't use candles. <laughs> Don't use candles, boys and girls. Be safe. All right, how about the sweet stuff? Oh, yeah, lots of sweet stuff at holiday time. Look, if you're baking it at home, that's one thing because you know what's going in it. But when we have all these holiday candies, sweets that are manufactured by candy companies, I've talked about it once, I've talked about it twice, I'm going to talk about it 20 more times because of how serious it is. Xylitol. It is an artificial sweetener that is toxic to dogs. It's very bad stuff. It can actually legitimately kill them too. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy like how much potential death there is for your pet during the holidays, but <laughs> that's the sad reality. Uh, xylitol. X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. Xylitol. Um, they like to put it in peanut butter a lot. We've talked about that before. And they do like to put it in candy bars and things like that sometimes. And if you're getting these little prepackaged ones with a little individual serving, you're not necessarily going to see the ingredients on the package, are you? So please keep the sweets out of reach from your dogs and cats. Let's also not forget dark chocolate can be very bad for dogs. We all know that. Um, any of the other natural stuff, like a grape, right? We don't like grapes for dogs. So just be aware. Be cognizant of these things. The other foods, bones, we're talking about potentially having some turkey at Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? They kind of both, so it's sort of like a month-long uh, thing where we've, we've got to be thinking about this. Uh, now, bones, alcohol as well, right? Alcohol is really bad for dogs. All these food items that are human food items, I want to make a side note. Y'all got family coming in town. Y'all got family. Family may not have pets at home. This the, the family that's coming in town may not be used to a dog, may not be used to not being able to leave doors open, may not know, hey, Uncle Bob, let's not feed Fluffy beer. Let's not feed Fluffy a chocolate cookie. Let's not feed, okay? There's nothing wrong with a gentle, kind reminder to your guests when they come over. Hey, you know, we have a family member that's four legs. They're still a family member. Please treat them with respect and Respect our rules, you know? Um, that was a little bit of a way to say it that people would probably not respect because that sounded kind of, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you get what I'm saying though, guys. In a nice way, go, hey guys, do me a favor, don't feed my dog any people food. Cool, cool. No bones, no alcohol. I'd really appreciate that. It, it, you know, it can kill them, that whole thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> all right, so with that said, there's also the keeping the tags and micro chicks, uh, chicks? Micro chicks, there you go. Micro chips up to date, checking the collars, checking the leashes, making sure we don't have fraying collars, anything like that. So again, God forbid, someone leaves the door open. It is holiday time, guys. It is chaotic. It is crazy. 50,000 things going on. Please take these prep, uh, prepared, prepared, whatever. Please take these steps to be prepared this holiday season. Be smart. But the to, those are really big ones that people overlook that we don't think about. Making sure our microchip information is up to date, you know, on the website and registered correctly. Your tags are up to date on your dog's collars and leashes. All that stuff is is working well. Um, you know, it might also be a good idea to, to keep doors closed if we have guests in town like think about this guys you have guests in town and maybe your guest has medication that they use and you know whatever uh but that medication could be really bad for your dog and if your guest 
they're not thinking, it's in their bag, the bag's on the floor in their bedroom, your dog could get into that. Again, something you just, you know, yeah, sure, it's probably not gonna happen, but it could. It could, and it could be really bad. So maybe just go, hey, do me a favor, guest, just keep your door shut while you're here so that way my dog, you know, doesn't, I don't want my dog on your bed either. You know, that's to say, you, you want to be respectful to your guests. To me, it's kind of a two-way thing. I don't want my dog going in there and being all up in their stuff if they don't want that. And I, you know, I, I, I don't want my dog getting injured potentially on something that, you know, is theirs. So it's kind of a mutual thing and a mutual relationship you need to have. So just be aware, be cautious, always be thinking ahead of time, guys. The holidays are a lot of fun, right? Like tons of fun, tons of food, tons of family. That could be good or bad, right? Uh, <laughs> but you gotta be safe. You've got to be safe. I need you guys to be thinking about these things. Be proactive about the way you enter the holidays with your dog. And one other small note, extra exercise. Extra exercise the few days leading up to when all the family's coming in town, all the madness goes a long way. Take your dog for that extra couple walks. Get them that extra session of doggy day camp week of Christmas. It's only going to help everybody out and make your dog happier too. A tired dog is a happy dog at holiday time. I guarantee that, guys. So good luck out there. Stay safe. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy holidays. Happy Festivus to the rest of us. And be safe and have a wonderful holiday. of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Christmas animals. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. <laughs> All kinds of Christmas animals. You know, and you guys probably know that reference from Home Alone, the original Home Alone movie. And it was actually a reference from a movie that Kevin was watching within the movie, but it's not a real movie that he was watching. It was a movie that was made for Home Alone. So kind of funny. I like that. But no, 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 no. Not those kind, not mobster kind of animals. No, we're talking about actual animals, of course. And we're talking about all the animals associated with the Christmas story, all the different stories of Christmas and how it kind of came to be. Because, you know, the fact is all of the animals for Christmas weren't just from an original story. These are traditions. These are stories that were passed down from multiple different ethnicities, countries, um, and, and these traditions get brought together to create the stories that everybody knows today. Now, look, I, I, you know, I was raised, I was raised Jewish, and we didn't celebrate Christmas, and so I don't really know a lot of the intricacies of the stories of Christmas of the animals. Some of you guys might know this stuff. Some of this might be new to you. So. I found it kind of interesting, right? Because there are a lot of animals associated with Christmas. And so let's talk about some of them. The most common ones that everybody thinks of. I mean, even myself, I can think about it like growing up when you see the nativity scenes everywhere. What is it? Camels and donkeys, right? Yeah, you got camels and donkeys always in these nativity scenes. 
it makes sense. Like, right, just from a logical perspective, I go, okay, well, you know, the Middle East, <laughs> they're in the desert, eh, there's gotta be camels. The donkeys, sure, that's what was used to transport a lot. So it's interesting that the three kings or the magi who predicted the birth of Jesus, they're depicted as arriving on the backs of camels, right? There we go, connect the dots. Now it's also widely believed that Mary arrived in Bethlehem on the back of a donkey and that a donkey supposedly carried Jesus into Jerusalem as well. Now, this is the reason that the Jerusalem donkey today, donkey named the Jerusalem donkey, is said to have a cross-shaped mark on its back. Now, until the 19th century, St. Nicholas, yes, Santa, he was even typically shown riding a donkey or riding with a donkey pulling the sleigh or a horse-drawn carriage, a horse-drawn sleigh, if you will. The reindeer were actually a Scandinavian modification. That's right. Didn't come from, uh, you know, the Eastern European where we kind of tend to associate as Bavaria and Christmas. No, it turns out that the reindeer came from Scandinavia, which makes sense because where do reindeer live? North, very, very north, <laughs> very, very cold environments, yes. Now, the Bible does not actually specify as to how Mary or the wise men traveled to their destinations, they arrived at their destinations. So the involvement of the animals, of, of the, of the um, camels, and it's all kind of just author, you know, creativity, if you will. And over the years, the stories get better. But again, you connect the dots, duh, we're in the desert, that's what, that's what they use. So camels naturally uh, became attached with that. Now, the reindeer, where do they come in? The reindeer actually stem from poetry. Yes, poetry. In 1821, William Gilly published a short anthology of poems and with an anonymous verse that included the line, Old St. Claus, with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night. It was also referenced in Clement Moore's A Visit from St. Nicholas. He provides the names of the reindeer that are still commonly known today from Dasher all the way to Blitzen. So... Again, fascinating, right? All these different little ways. And I really wonder what's in, and probably we'll never know, why? Like, why did these traditions get taken and why did they take off uh, as opposed to something else? I mean, you know, it's just, it's it's so kind of crazy to me how these traditions keep going. All right, so um, I, traditions, religious traditions, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, in myself, you know, when I was raised Jewish, we're talking traditions that have gone on for thousands of years. And they're done today very similar to how they were done back then. It's amazing how we pass down. But again, there's those changes and how they occur and I never really know. All right, so uh, more animals such, such as ox, donkeys, and sheep. And it's funny, when I was reading this, I went, oh yeah, like you used to see sheep a lot because why? Well, it's the, they're the most frequently named animals at the nativity. And the reason being is that supposedly um, there were a lot of um, shepherds right? Guardi uh, shepherds that were actually visiting the birth of Jesus, you know, when he was born, baby Jesus, coming to visit baby Jesus. And so they put sheep next to him. Now, I don't think the shepherds were bringing their flocks of sheep over to see Jesus too, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think they were bringing all their flocks from their farms over, but that's how we knew it was a representation. You wouldn't have really put two and two together just because they have the curved staff thing going on, you know. You're not putting two and two together that you know, the sheep herder. So yeah, there you go. So that's why you'll see sheep at the nativity scene. It's really to represent um, the fact that the shepherds were coming to visit the birth of Jesus. Fascinating again, like kind of crazy. Now a mouse, we always hear about the mouse, but that's really just from the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. So mice are often associated with Christmas just because of that. Then there are the animals of Yule. And again, this is to me like a little over my head of just 
learning about it. The Yule goat. You may notice that many Scandinavian Christmas decorations feature these kind of stylized goats. Now the Yule goat is oftentimes made of straw and represents a goat that would have been slaughtered for the Christmas feast. Some Swedish towns will actually display a straw goat during Christmas, although uh, they sometimes apparently struggle to keep them from being set on fire. <laughs> Yeah, kind of crazy. Now, other animals that are associated with Christmas, we also have as part of the feast, we have the turkey and the goose. So you'll oftentimes see the turkey and the goose as well. Makes sense. Then there's the Yule Oath Boar. This is a Norse tradition. A family would make an oath for the coming year over the pig to be prepared for the holiday feast. And this is probably part of the reason why... Um, some families tend to have ham as a Christmas tradition. Now, this would occur on the 12th night of Yule, which would be January 1st, and this would be a precursor to the current New Year's resolution traditions. Uh, again, just fascinating how these all these traditions kind of snowball. And especially in America, we had such a melting pot of all of these countries, all of these cultures, all of these traditions being brought together. And, and you know, that's what we have today. Then there are the birds, such as the dove. Yeah, now the dove often appears in Christmas decorations with olive branches above, uh, with the olive branches rather in its beak as a sign of peace as well as forgiveness. The turtle dove, they're specifically a symbol of love and a sacrificial animal mentioned by the Bible, which is, I didn't even know a dove was a sacrificial animal, crazy. Now this might explain why the dove makes its appearance in the 12 days of Christmas. Penguins, you know, this one came up to penguins and polar bears. That's clearly a modern association, only taking the cold part. There is no Christmas association. There is no, uh, obviously, like penguins live, you know, they live in Antarctica. They're not, they're not up in Norway. So <laughs> I don't think Scandinavian traditions incorporated penguins into it. It's definitely a modern tradition just because of winter and the association of cold with penguins and polar bears. There also is a British tradition of association of Christmas with robins, and I do sometimes see people with uh, with little robins in their in the Christmas trees, not doves. You can tell it's a robin, you know, versus that, and they actually will forage actively for food right around the Christmas season. Now, their brilliant bright, uh, bright red plumage. This is a symbol in Christian. Uh, it's a symbol in Christianity that the red breast was considered symbolic of the blood and sacrifice of Christ. So another tradition that gets carried over there. Now, there's also the wren. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, uh, wren's a type of bird. Now, in America, in the U.S., there's actually many different types of wren birds, different species. But in the old world, over in Europe and in England, there's only one. It's it's the wren. There is only the wren, okay? So oftentimes this will be associated um, with England, with Ireland, and as was the tradition, they would be traditionally hunted or sacrificed in late December as a ceremony for ushering out the old year. Now in Ireland, the 26th of December is actually known as Wren Day and may be celebrated by hunting and displaying a fake wren. So really, really kind of cool. I mean, I just... To me, anything animal related is going to be fascinating combined, once again, like this is why I love it, I combine history. This is why we do the history of animal mascots and um, some great segments that we've had on the show, the, the uh, history of the US presidents and their pets. I love combining animals in history and this is just another way that we could do it. So really cool stuff. I hope you guys learned something. Hope you got a little something out of that and hey, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everybody. The answer to today's trivia question what bird is often considered a symbol of peace? Well, if you'd been listening closely in the last segment, kind of gave it away. It's the dove, yes. Oftentimes associated with Christmas and the New Year, doves are a symbol of peace. 
Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Wisconsin. Now, the University of Wisconsin was founded in 1848, and it is the oldest and largest university in Wisconsin. The school became the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1971, when nine other universities were merged to create the University of Wisconsin system. Now, UW has a fierce, ferocious mascot. Yes, they are known as the Badgers. And a badger is one intense little dude, right? Like, <laughs> there's no messing around. They're in the same family as otters, wolverines, minks, polecats, weasels, and ferrets. However, the original reference to the animal is actually a reference to humans, believe it or not. Yes, now the state of Wisconsin had long been referred to as the Badger State, dating back all the way to the 1820s and 1830s. The lead miners who first settled the area had to, quote, live like badgers, sheltering in tunnels buried, uh, burrowed into the hillside. But the badger was adopted as the university's mascot in 1889, and originally the school had attempted to have a live mascot at the football games and sporting events, but, you know, the badger proved to be too vicious, of course, to control. And on more than one occasion, he even ended up escaping and had to be tackled and recaptured by members of the football team. You know, it's not going to go over so well. For obvious reasons, they were tired using a live mascot. Oh my goodness. But the badger yearbook attempted to use a raccoon for a short time named Regdab. I have a hard time saying it. Reg Regdab, I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced, which is badger spelled backwards. And they passed it off as a badger in a raccoon coat. I don't think they were fooling anybody. <laughs> a drawing of the mascot was first drawn by a professional illustrator, Art Evans of Garden Grove, California. Also, can we talk about that for a second? The guy's an artist and his name is Art. I mean, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> Side note, I knew a veterinarian named Dr. Veal. Yes, Dr. Veal. I knew a veterinarian named Dr. Parrot, and my band director in high school was Mr. Muse. I love it. Like, it's just awesome. All right. <laughs> There's also a veterinarian in the area here named Dr. Steers. Like a cow, Steers? Come on. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to it. In 1949, a student adorned a paper mache badger head, and the anthropomorphic version of the mascot was born. Now, the badger, who did not have an official name, he earned many nicknames over the years as such as Benny, Buddy, Bernie, Bobby, and Bouncy. But then a contest, as with most universities, settled it once and for all. The winner named him Buckingham U. Badger, or Bucky for short, yes. Now the name's inspiration apparently came from the lyrics in a song from the university, which encouraged the football team to buck right through that line, yes. Now, there are approximately seven students on the Bucky team to be at a wide variety of sporting events, community events, and more. Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Angela from Austin, Texas. Angela asks, I am having a really hard time housebreaking my puppy. She is a four and a half month old Shih Tzu and I've had her since she was 10 weeks. Now I reward her when she goes outside. I have a consistent schedule. I don't use pee pads. She still has a few accidents. Now they're mostly by the door that I take her out of now. But for the life of me, I cannot get her to stop doing that. Any advice would be amazing. Angela, thank you so much for the question. Look, housebreaking stinks. <laughs> like nobody wants to clean up pee and poop. And I'm sorry you're having to still deal with that. At the same time, four and a half months. 
like it's a shih tzu you know what i mean like it's not a huge dog here we're not talking a huge bladder and there is a chance your dog could actually still be having a hard time holding it maybe it's when her bladder's really full right like maybe that's the problem is it's just extra full those times she has to go she just can't quite hold it all the way yet and she's letting go you know um being that she's doing it by the door i always say that's a great sign i mean it's always a great sign if at one point she was choosing other places and now she's choosing by the front door or whatever door you take her out of rather um that's excellent like that's awesome you're going in the right direction and that's the thing with dog training it's not always measured in miles it is literally sometimes measured in inches and some days you're going to get an inch of progress and some days you're going to get a mile of progress it's just the way it works however as long as we're not seeing backward steps, I'm feeling good. Like that, that's always how we want to be with that, especially when it comes to housebreaking a young and small puppy, right? Like let's just kind of take that. I, I would kind of take that with a grain of salt. I would give her the benefit of the doubt at four and a half months old that she may not be able to hold it, especially because she's going by the door. That's communicating to me that she understands the connection to go outside. It's more telling me she maybe can't hold it yet. So tough, right? Uh, you have a couple options here. You know, number one is if you're not already monitoring her water intake, you may want to control that just a little bit more because maybe she's over drinking, right? Maybe, who knows? This is why you got to, this is why you have to pay attention. See how much she's drinking. Maybe fill the bowl only a quarter amount. See if she drinks it all. That way you just have some gauge. If she drinks it all, you can give her a little more, right? She seems thirsty. Absolutely. But Puppies will sometimes drink out of boredom. They will sometimes over drink out of boredom and fill their bladder so full that they can't hold it. And now you're kind of fighting an uphill battle that's really, you know, you'll struggle to win that because she literally can't hold it, right? Um, so that's one thing. The next thing you can do is I want you to try to pay attention. Um, if you're not already doing it, I want you to have a log. I want you to start writing down. And this is tough because I want you to be as detailed as you can. That's the tough part. I want you, if you can know when she went last, when was the last time she drank anything? When was the last time she ate anything? And then when her accidents are. Because what I want you to be able to do is find some correlation in the pattern. We might see that all of a sudden, oh, geez, there it is. She's doing this literally four, four hours and 13 minutes, like almost to the dot after the last time she went out. Right. So if you can all of a sudden see, you may not see that pattern. Like you may just not see that yet. And so that that that's why if you write it down and you log it, it becomes more obvious. And now you can cut off that pattern. So now at four hours, I'm taking her out, teaching her to go outside, teaching her to only hold it till we go outside. Okay. Then I can start extending it to the back to the four hours and 13 minutes, four hours and a half, four and a half hour, so on and so forth. You may have to go back a little bit to cut that off, right? To not let her pee, just to move forward. That's not going backwards in the training. That's going backwards in the process to move forward in the training, right? Um, so it, it may be a little tough, but again, I really, I truly think she's just not able to fully hold it yet. And that may be the battle you're fighting. Some of those other little details, logging it in the water, I think is going to help you. Uh, and I think you'll be able to figure it out then. The only other thing I could say, um, but I'm guessing you're probably already doing this. You didn't mention it, but you, I assume you are considering she's not using the same spot over and over with the exception by the door. That's a little different. She's clearly, okay. Cleaner, we use the right cleaner. That's the point I'm getting to. Make sure you're using the right cleaner. My favorite is nature's miracle. Uh, but any kind of cleaner that's actually going to break down the composition of the urine, the smell, really get it out so she, with her strong nose, uh, can't smell that anymore. So um, hope that helps out. Good luck to you, Angela. Let me know if you have any more questions.
The next question, this comes from Gary from Columbia, South Carolina. Gary says, I rescued a dog recently. He's about, he's about a two-year-old mutt. He has some socialization issues, and he seems to like some dogs, but not others. He has snapped twice now, but he doesn't follow through. Almost seems like he's more doing like a warning right now. What can I do to help him get over this and safely teach him to socialize more? Gary, uh, thanks for the question. Good question. Tough question, right? This is a little tougher. Obviously, we start getting into socialization issues. A dog who maybe is uncomfortable, who is willing to take it to that snap, um, it does make things a little more difficult. First thing I'm going to say is, look, from my perspective, I would feel more comfortable if you had uh, someone who's there who can see what's happening, who's active in it. Anytime we get toward that, like a, not aggression, but aggression tendencies or anything like that, I do prefer you have somebody in, in person working with you. I really do. Um, it's not to say we can't talk and, hey, you know, we could do some virtual training and I can help you. Um, it might be a simple fix. You know, it might be something easy, maybe something small you're missing. It could be a few things. And that's the point. With these kind of things, it can be more about the subtleties. And you may not necessarily be able to see that over the Internet. It may take being in person. So uh, it kind of depends on a few other factors. But you may want to consider hiring a trainer. Throwing that out there. Um Next thing, though, is see what the can see if you can find some level of, of what is triggering him being uncomfortable. Is it the dog over engaging him? Is it a dog that's too excitable? Um, is it a nervous dog? Maybe because it could be that it could be the complete opposite. It could be a nervous dog that makes him uncomfortable. Because if you can find that consistency, we can control those variables a little more and we can start to create a safe interaction. But look, I'll be honest, Gary, easier said than done. This is like a 20, 30 minute answer for you. This isn't a, hey, do this one thing and it's easier. Um, for now, my recommendation would be to keep your distance from dogs you don't know. Uh, keep on working with dogs he likes and he does know encourage those awesome interactions and the fun interactions uh, but try to avoid any new dogs for the moment until you have more information to work with whether that be through myself or another trainer that's local to you uh, what have you but that would be my recommendation do a baby step let's not let's not talk about taking a big leap here or anything like that we've got to do a baby step answer for this one to start with to be safe and to proceed with caution and of course make sure your dog is feeling the most comfortable too so um, maybe not the full answer you wanted to hear, but hey, I kind of hope that helps out and maybe I can help you in the future. Feel free to email me, reach out, or again, find a local trainer in your area. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Dogcast to check out our brand new Training Tip Tuesdays where I come out with a new training tip every Tuesday for you guys to use with your dogs at home. You can find my YouTube channel at Dogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash Dogcast. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, stay safe out there, and I'll see you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.